0: Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. Therefore... Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou judges, uh, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and, and uh, doest the same Thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and, and impotent heart, and uh, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, I pray your blessing, Lord, upon the service. Please help me to stay true to your word. Lord, I certainly pray that this would be clear. Lord, I pray that you would use it to strengthen us, uh, to draw us closer to you, to conform us more to the image of your dear son. Lord, I pray that you minimize distractions and, and, and help us to be able to think on your word and what you have for us. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, I do pray for that conviction and that drawing that perhaps even this evening they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, let's, let's get into this. I do have several things I want to cover tonight, even though it's only a two-point message. Uh, there's a lot with those two points. Last week, again, as we, as we are finished up chapter 1, we saw the descent of man when God turns him over to himself. And how the act of God turning man over to himself is a form of wrath. This started back earlier in Romans chapter 1 with the wrath of God being revealed. Which is, again, we're all dealing with reasons why right now, why the gospel is so important. Why every single man needs it. And so in the first chapter from verses 18, 19 on down, he covers a group of people that refuse to glorify God as God. They simply deny God. And God says, listen, when that begins to take place, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start to become unthankful. I mean, after all, you're denying God, so what are you going to thank Him for? He's not in your thoughts. You're trying to avoid Him as it is, so you're not about to come before God and say, thank you. Don't underestimate the power uh, of having gratitude, genuine gratitude in your heart before God. How that serves as a fence, has a protection in your life. And then, there, of course, that would be followed by vain imagination, their foolish heart being darkened. And it gets to a point where God says, you know what? I'm done. I will turn you over, and the first thing that he does to a culture is he turns them over to sexual immorality. We saw that in our own nation going back to the '60s, really, I mean, really taking off late '60s into the '70s. But that took place. You saw God. The only thing God did there, as a form of wrath, it wasn't that He sent a hurricane, it wasn't that He sent an earthquake, it wasn't that He He, he sent pestilence and disease. The form of wrath was turning man over. To his own heart, so we saw that sexual revolution take place in the sixties. But as you read on in the Book of Revelation, God, if man does not repent, it goes to another level. The second time He says, "I turn you over," that is to a homosexual revolution. The the depravity that can take place within sexual acts. That comes. We saw that take place probably going to the eighties, nineties, especially lately. That is taking place. Then there's a third time we looked at that God turns men over, the final time, and that is just where they're filled with all those sins that were listed. It just becomes commonplace. Um, the, the, again the conviction isn't there the, the wickedness is abounding violence and murders and greed and covetousness it's just abounding at that point in time so I'm removing another roadblock remember this all of us are capable of that the reason why, why, we, why we don't follow all the depravity of our heart is because of God's restraining on our life so now Paul changes gears a little bit We see God's wrath being revealed in chapter 1, but now we come to our text, and this is a very sobering message for us. I've entitled this message, Shalt Thou Escape? This message, especially when I get into the second point, both are needed. The second point just has such a great truth to it that I want you to see. It will help answer some key questions, especially one question, that many tend to have when they think that God is not fair. It will help with those who think God is unjust. It will help you view what takes place with events in this world and in lives of individuals from a biblical standpoint instead of a carnal standpoint. I really think you need to listen close to to today's message. I think it's one of those that can really cause a change and shift in how you think, which in turn can affect your life. It can help you lead to a genuine repentance of lingering sin in your life. For you to see who God is For you to see the goodness of God. Again, we have seen God judge the pagans with his wrath uh, um, in Romans chapter 1. Those who are an obvious outward gross sin. But now Paul turns his attention to two other groups of people. You can see it in the, in the first three verses, and then to a, uh, uh, verse 4 by the word or, he changes to a second group of people. So we have, we have the pagans and the idolaters, the God-deniers. Those in the first group in Romans chapter 1 were those who refused to give God glory as God. But now he comes to two more groups. First off, I, 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 the two groups I'll give them first are two D's I give it, the devout and then the deceived. The devout. What I mean by that is the moralists. The religious ones. The ones who look to the moral life that they think they have. The ones who look to the religious actions that they perform. The devout. And then Paul addresses not only the devout, he addresses those, addresses those who are deceived. And we'll get into that because they're deceived about one key area and it will send them to hell. And that is the goodness of God. these are also two groups of people who will face judgment. But they perhaps are even in a greater place, in a far dangerous place than those in chapter 1. You say, how so? Because those in this group, they don't believe they're going to face judgment. They think they're going to escape judgment. Think about it. The majority of people who believe in God Really think I'm all right. That's the majority of people. I mean, those in Romans chapter one they deny God. They 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 don't basically they don't even believe a judgment is coming, if you will. All right, they deny God as God. These are those that recognize a judgment's coming, but it's not going to be me. It's going to be those in chapter one. God, I'm all right. I'm not like those in chapter one. I'm all right. They don't believe God's going to send them to hell. It's everybody else. Those in chapter 1 are going to hell. Paul's getting ready to tell them, oh no, I'm not done yet. That's just one group. These would be those like we see in Matthew chapter 7 who are stunned when it comes judgment day that they're being cast into the lake of fire. Crying out to the Lord, 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 have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. So this evening, we're going to look at the devout and then the deceived. Again, there is also the importance of a great truth that is contained in this text. And we need to see that. First of all, the devout. I probably want to get through this one a little bit quickly. I've, I have debated breaking this up into two messages uh, but I don't think I'm, going to. I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to cover the first point uh, fairly quickly as we look at the, de- the devout. That's the first three verses here. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God, get this, is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, That judges them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Of course, they don't think they're doing the same things, but let's take a closer look. So Paul turns his attention now from the God-deniers to the devout, the moralists, the religious. Uh, many say, and, and understandably so, but as we get late, later on the chapter, that'll become more clear. And in chapter 3, that Paul is uh, simply addressing the Jews here. And that certainly is included. That's, we're going to see that later on in, in chapter 2. But a, as he made the point, why people say, that, I don't get it. He, he is clear here. Oh, man, whosoever thou art. So, he's not just simply dealing with the nation. He's dealing with anybody that is looking to their morals, to their religious action, to, to, their, to the, their ability they think to restrain the flesh and have an appearance of righteousness. He's talking to both of them. So, Paul is going from the God deniers to the self righteous. Think of it. Multitudes take comfort, a fatal confidence in their religion, and in their morals. This is going to include pastors and deacons and teachers, faithful members of churches, people who truly try to attempt to live a moral life. Paul is going to show all men need salvation. His conclusion is going to be summed up when we get to verse number... Where am I at here? Let me find it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I found it here, is that it? Yep. Look at chapter 3 and verse 19. And again, it'll change gears a little bit in chapter 4. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Now get this, this is this whole point right now, that every mouth, everyone, every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Listen to me, the, the gospel basically will have no effect Unless a person realizes the extent of their guilt This is the danger of walking into a classroom with a bunch of six-year-olds and say, "Who wants to go to heaven?" Oh, let's ask Jesus into our heart. I'm going to write back to my churches. We had 37 children saved today. It's so dangerous. Two things I want you to notice about this group. What the devout feel and what the devout will find out. First, we see in this this text what the devout will feel. They they feel that their sins are not as bad as others. They can see those in chapter 1. I'm not like that. I mean, look at them. I mean, they compare themselves with that group. My sins are not nearly as bad. You can think of the publican and the Pharisee. Where the Pharisee praying, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like this publican. He genuinely believed. That Pharisee truly believed with all his heart, I am better than this man. My sins are not as bad. And remember, only one of them left that day righteous. Multitudes trusted in the fact that they went to church, they've been baptized, they try to live a good life. They think that's going to get them salvation. You are in this group. You will not escape judgment. This is the person who likes to compare himself with the drug addict, the prostitute. He's measured himself by the wrong standard. And failing to see how wretched he is. These are the people who are indignant at other people's sins, but indulgent of their own. Their sin in their mind just isn't as bad as other people's sins. They'd like to shout amen at that group in Romans chapter 1. They're religious, they're devout. They think we are safe from judgment. How wrong they are. These are the ones who can easily remove the mote in the brother's eyes, but they fail to see the beam in their own eye. They have religion or they have morals and they think they're fine. I can think of a man not too long ago, me and Brother Farr went to talk with. Spent quite a while with him. The only thing we couldn't get him was lost. Good moral life. I'm good. I'm not, hell's not for me. It's a fatal tendency we have to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize our own. By the way, we learn a key, uh, as a side note from this, I do want to wrap up chapter 1, we learn that zeal against sin does not mean innocence from that sin. I don't have time, I can give occasions even in history and well-known things that sometimes those who shout the loudest against a certain sin, that many times it's the same sin that holds them. These people are the self-righteous. Self-righteousness exists because of two deadly errors. Number one, the minimizing of God's moral standards. Usually, this takes the form where they will emphasize externals. That's all they have. That's what they go. External is important. The the, the opposite of this is is just as wicked. It's just mind-boggling to me at times. What's in your heart will affect the outside, period. But these are those that, it's almost like their standards, their righteousness is their God. They live for that. Look at this. Look what I've done. And so so all of a sudden, within their own mind, that fatal error is taking place. They think they have a sense of, I'm all right. So they minimize God's moral standards by emphasizing externals. And we're going to see why that's important. Because Christ, we're going to see in Matthew chapter 5, emphasize the heart. Number two. Underestimating the depth of one's own sinfulness. Listen, the more wicked you see yourself as you are, the less likely you have to worry about being self-righteous. This is what the devout will find. We, see, we saw that in verse 2 and 3. They simply find this judgment is sure. They're going to find out that when God judges, it's not how they think it's going to take place. It's going to be based in truth. God is not going to stand them up and compare their life to those in chapter 1. That's not what he's going to do. The judgment is based in truth. They will see the fatal mistake they made by comparing their life with others and assuming that they were fine. According to truth, the statement simply means this, meaning it's right. It's right. God will judge those who are guilty. I'm going to quote there from one source on the definition of this. God will judge those who are guilty of such things, not according to appearance, but in integrity and with righteousness. He will judge people according to the real nature of their conduct, and not as their conduct may appear to be. This judgment will take place from the heart out. Understand this, the Jews, who Paul is also addressing here, and it is a primary audience, if you will, they truly believed they would escape judgment. I'm going to give you some quotes from some of their own books right here. Here's one quote, Jewish literature. Abraham sits beside, excuse me, Abraham sits beside the gates of hell and does not permit any wicked, notice the wording here, he does not permit any wicked Israelite to go through. In other words, Abraham's going to keep all the wicked ones out of hell. They don't have to worry about judgment because they're Jews. or Martyr, you might recognize his name from church history. He was in, a, he was in this debate uh, with a Jew. And, and Anyhow, the Jewish man he was debating said this. I'm going to quote him. They who are the seed of Abraham, according to the flesh, shall in any case, even if they be sinners and unbelieving and disobedient towards God, still share in the eternal kingdom. No. What that religious person will find out is judgment is sure. But think you see, well, that's Israel. You can think of all those in churches right now. I've been baptized. I go to church. I've been raised in church. I'm good to go. I'm all right. Uh, Listen, I'm not like this other group. You don't understand. Let's think what Christ said. Matthew chapter 5. We're not going to turn there from time's sake. There's a lot I want to cover tonight. Matthew chapter 5. He's talking about murder. Let's see how God's going to judge you. And let's see. You see, you might have a limited ability on the outside, to restrain your flesh. A Mormon, a Jehovah Witness, there's people that can live, as we view it, a moral life. you are still looking to the wrong place. Christ said this, You have heard of old, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry at his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Same thing, judgment. Think of that. By our law, that man would not be convicted. There's no trial. There's no crime. But when you stand before God, when God sees the murder in your heart, listen to me, and it's right. We're going to get to the goodness of God. Guilty. Do you understand that? Guilty as a murderer. And this group has something else that's... Oof. See, they're both going to be judged based on... I mean, this group denied the light they had in God in the first chapter 1. They denied the light they were given in creation, did they not? And, and that, will, that will have effect on the form of wrath and judgment to come. This group, they see God as creator, but... Whew, like the Jews, they also have the revealed word of God. More light. Think of what he said about adultery. Thou sh- you said, you, are, you have heard of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whosoever looketh after woman with lust in his heart, guilty. Done. What the person needs to look at is not compare themselves to the drug dealer and the prostitute, things that they're not doing. They better look at their own wretched heart. And know just how vile they really are. This judgment is truth. I want you to think about this. Every sin you have ever committed, you might as well, and basically the same thing, might as well have committed it in front of a giant screen right in front of God. This is why we need a Savior desperately. This is why no man has any hope apart from the gospel, apart from Jesus Christ. None. We need to run to the righteousness of Christ because, we are, because of who we are and how vile we are or we will not escape judgment. Now, the deceived. Verses 4 and 5. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and infinite heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This is now a group I refer to as the deceived. Deceived in regards to the goodness of God. These are those who do not understand God's goodness. I need to define each of the terms very quickly. It's very important for this text for understanding of what's taking place. First off, the word despise means to think down on, to underestimate someone or something's value, to treat with contempt. I'm continuing reading from definitions. Basically, to grossly underestimate the value of something. to uh, to grossly underestimate the significance of something. It is a failure to assess true worth. The word goodness, let's define it. There's different words that are are used for goodness in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. This is a specific word. It it almost refers to kindness, if you will. Um, One definition is common grace. The benefits God bestows on all men. Kindness, Um, generous, good in the sense of merciful, good in the sense of kind. Quoting still, God is possessed by an innate goodwill towards sinners, an innate kindness. This is what it's referring to. Forbearance. The word means literally to hold back. This word was sometimes used of a truce between warring parties. Rather than destroying every person, uh, um, rather than destroying every single person the moment he or she sins, God graciously holds back his judgment. Long-suffering, slowness to anger. Now, let's see what's going on with this deceived. What I want you to see is this, and it's also true many times of us. They abuse God's goodness. And that can really twist your thinking. We're going to see that. Multitudes think they are fine and will escape judgment because they don't understand God's goodness. And so, therefore, God's goodness gets greatly abused. They too will find judgment is coming and it will be severe. I want you to ask yourself a question as we go into this, and that is this. I want you to think to yourself how do you respond to God's goodness, to God's kindness? to his forbearance and his long-suffering. You need to listen to this point. Justice, scripturally speaking, for sin would be death. That was established in the garden. It's reinforced throughout the Bible. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. God told Adam and Eve... If you sin, if, you, if you're going to eat of it, you die. That was set in place. And when we go to the garden, of course, we see that when they did sin, God did not kill them. Even though he had every right, through justice, it's key, to end it right there. But he chose Mercy. you got to follow with me. I, I hope you leave here with a very different understanding of goodness versus justice. Every time you sin, God has every right to kill you. That would be justice. Now listen to me, but we are so used use to God's mercy and God's goodness that we take it for granted and we abuse it. We're so accustomed to it. We take it for granted. We, we get so used to God's mercy, because He's full of mercy and full of long-suffering and full of goodness, that it changes how we think and we do nothing but abuse His goodness. When the purpose of it is to lead you to repentance, we see God's mercy. Even by the time Moses is pending in the law, remember, through justice God can kill you any time you sin for every sin, any sin. But by the time the law was written, I don't remember exactly, it's like 30 to 35 laws were in place that God assigned a death penalty for. He could have did it for every single one. He was already showing goodness and mercy in that. Now it gets better. Because the truth is, even though death penalty was assigned to those 30 and 35, there are multitudes of times mercy was still extended So the group that Paul was addressing now are those who despise, who undervalue. They don't see its worth, God's goodness. They greatly underestimate it. They fail to see the true worth of how valuable and how rich God's goodness really is. How much we desperately need it. And we abuse it, because we don't use it to the, intent, to the intent that God has put it in place. He's addressing this group. Of course, as we know, the same is true of so many today. We fail to recognize how amazing and how valuable God's goodness is. Even when studying this, there was at one point I just simply dropped down and said, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Right now, there's what? Close to 7 billion people in the world. Every single one. Don't forget this. Every single one is experiencing God's goodness. Think about it. Very few of the 7 billion, including among God's own people, see the value or the worth Of that goodness. And that changes how they view life. God makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He provides warmth with the sun, air to breathe, water for our health, ability to grow food on this planet in abundance. But God's goodness gets abused over and over and over and over. And so few people see it. And you're going to see this finishes with a great warning for those in that category. We see different events that take place in Scripture and sometimes they cause us to wonder. Like when the earth opened up. Swallowing Dathan and whoever was with him at the time. Why does God allow all the apostates under Christianity, under the banner of Christianity? What about all the liberals and the progressives of our day, moving with wickedness, moving so fast and forward? Why? All the evil that's taking place, all this toleration for evil. How can he let that go on? Why does not the righteous wrath of heaven consume them? Romans 9. God has dealt with the vessels fitted unto destruction with much long suffering. I'm trying to make it clear. We need to see how much every single one of us needs God's goodness and needs to see it for its value. Or will not have the intended effect. The goodness of God, as it says, is designed for one one purpose, to lead you to repentance, but it is abused. Let me quote from one source. I like this quote. You can say it better than I can. Speaking of God's goodness to man, it is designed to cause them to turn from sin to him. It is designed to cause men who are filled with evil to long for God and God's goodness. It is designed to make them thankful that he didn't slay them and turn Him and turn to him in gratitude. If you really realize what you deserve every day you live, every breath you take, you'll thank God that he didn't strike you down. You see, God's goodness and God's patience cause us to repentance to a thankful grateful heart. And yet we so often fail to do that. Listen to me. If you have ever thought that God is unjust in his actions and what's taking place in events and activities, in reality you are proving how common it is to abuse The goodness of God. Just taking it for granted. How good he is in the goodness that is constantly there. So what happens is this. When justice comes, we fail to see it as just. I'm going to explain how that happens. Think of all the people right now, like us... Loading up on God's goodness and don't even recognize it. We don't even see it. Pleasure in our life that God has given. Enjoying the relationships we have... From husband and wife, parent, child, friends. Enjoying the beauty of creation. Gardens we plant, etc. God's provision. Then all of a sudden... Something bad happens. An eventy curse. Keep in mind... All that has been taking place prior, all of it, is not out of God's justice, it's out of His goodness. Do you understand that? It's out of His goodness. So, when something bad does happen, that would perfectly align, by the way, with justice, we blame God. We question Him. Someone dies. A sickness comes. You lose your job. Life gets rough. God, that's not fair. How can you take that from me? God, this isn't right. No. You don't understand God's goodness. You've done nothing but abuse it. Know who understood God's goodness? You question God's love. You question God's actions. Does this not happen? Listen to me. What will change your thought processes is understanding God's goodness. Everything comes down to taking God's goodness for granted and abusing it. Follow me. How is it that people question God's goodness when something bad happens? See, the problem is we view, we view events, both good and bad. All right? Both good and bad that happen in life, from a, again, from a carnal perspective and not a biblical perspective. We blame God and forget about justice, mercy, and goodness, or we understand them wrong. The problem is... We feel that God is unjust because, now listen to me, we are comparing His justice with His mercy and not His mercy with His law. There's a big difference. Because at the same time, we are questioning God's goodness. We're not understanding God's justice because we we lack that understanding because we simply abuse the goodness of God not being thankful every moment for all his provisions, that this is all of God's goodness, that in no way that if I got justice, I would have none of this. And when justice comes, we don't blame ourselves. We blame God. Besides the truth of living in a sin-cursed earth, Because we abuse the goodness of God, when justice happens, we see it as unjust. You made the wrong comparison. That's what you did. You compare mercy with law. When justice hits, it's simply just. And God will never do anything that is not Just this earth since the garden of Eden and will continue is packed and filled with his goodness, his long suffering and his forbearance. There are times when that gets excluded. There are. And because we view it wrong, we're shocked when we read things like this in the Bible. Ananias and Sapphira. Why would God do that? Or how about how about the boys with the bear when they're making fun of Elisha? The bear comes out and kills them. What? Well, that's not fair. You don't understand justice and you compare mercy to justice and not mercy to law. Lot's wife, I mean, she just looked back. What you failed to see with God's goodness all along, the whole time, that she wasn't getting what she deserved. And so when justice hits, because we view goodness wrong, we can only see it as unjust. I want you to think about that. For that to take place, incredible. It, it shows the amount of abundance of God's goodness. I mean, he just touched the eye. He was trying to help it. Again, we see these events like this that I listed and we compare justice to mercy and not mercy with law. We see that, we know that we can see it when it takes place. When we look at these events, we think God was harsh. Not at all. He was just. He was just because we're so full up with his goodness. That when justice happens, we don't even recognize it. Let me give you a way we can recognize in our own country the entitlement nature of multitudes in our nation right now. Because of all that's been provided to them, they believe they're entitled to it with all their heart. I watched uh, three or four years ago, I watched this lady being interviewed who had all these kids, and, and, and she was yelling and throwing a fit because the government needs to provide for her family. I mean, picture, I'm like, This is astounding. No personal responsibility. No accountability. Just the government needs to pay me. You want to know why that came about? Because of all the goodness from the government she was experiencing. That when it ended, she saw that as unjust. We do that with God all the time. He's good all the time. And when justice hits, we view it as unfair. We need to be thankful for the goodness that God has put into our life and that you are not getting justice. Be thankful you're not getting what you deserve. And how it should work. As, and I, can, I, don't have time, I don't have time to go into 1 Corinthians, but you can see this where God talks about different times when justice hit. And he stresses. This is for us to remind us of God's goodness to us. That those, those times that the justice hits, along with God's goodness, so what it should do to cause us to fall in and I say, Thank you, God, for your goodness in my life. You are right and you are just. And I thank you for your mercy and your long-suffering and your forbearance, because I know what I deserve. purpose of God's goodness is to lead us to repentance. Not to continue in sin or to question. The problem is we have despised. We have undervalued the goodness of God. For this group, and I'm done, Verse 5. Get this. What's coming for this group as well. But after thy hardness, an impotent heart treasures up unto unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So, now one, let me set it in proper context because I did a whole lot of application tonight to us. Going back to context right here. He is dealing with individuals who, because of the goodness they see around them, that they believe in their mind because of God's goodness that surely God would not send them to hell. Surely I won't be judged. Instead of seeing the goodness of God for how it was intended, they despise it. They undervalue it. It's, it, it, it's, it, they're, they're heading in a wrong direction. They don't even see it. This should lead them to repentance to see their need of God. But that's not taking place. And so we see the result of this. It mentions how it's going to affect their heart, a hardened heart that they will not repent. The word for hardness here is interesting. Um, sclerosis, like arterial sclerosis, the hardening of the arteries, is the same exact word. But it's not a hardening of anything physical. This is dealing with the spiritual hardness in your life. If God's goodness doesn't lead you to repent, the danger level is high. As I talked about here, treasuring up, storing up wrath. See, with God's goodness, that doesn't mean He he has forgotten any of the sins. He has not. It's being stored up. The answer, of course, is to run to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way out of this. Because when that reservoir is full, when that dam breaks, the wrath will be severe. Two groups tonight. The devout, who think they're fine and then the deceived who abuse the goodness of God with with heads bowed and eyes closed